and we're back with another episode of Food in the Hood. That's right. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's my kind classic of a... intro. That's yes. right. Yep, that's I'll how Amanda greets everyone. Opening. Yeah. Yeah. So we're back, and yes. um, this is the. I don't know. We're recording like a week after the U.S. election had some more definitive results. Correct. Yep. So I guess we also wanted to talk a little bit about politics and how you know politics kind of intertwine with our food system. But I think you know this is such a broad topic, right? We could spend、yeah. hours talking about it. We thought one good way to sort of bring these two sort of ideas together is focus on the dairy industry. Some、so、good old dairy. Cows, milk, cheese, whey, everything.、Yeah. Right. So, like,、And、do you consider egg as dairy?、Mm, <laughs> no, no, I don't. Do you? I don't, but I got asked a lot. Because、um, I always consider dairy to be the byproduct of any like bovine sort of、oh, animal.、Wow. So, like, <laughs> you're going the super scientific way. Yeah, like cow, cow milk, goat milk, kangaroo、yeah. milk. I don't know if that's a thing, but. Sort of that、uh-huh. realm to me is more, you know, dairy. But、right. I can see why it would be a common question people ask ask you. Because milk and egg are just like as ingredients, they go hand in hand in a lot of recipes. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, from pancake mixes. Yeah, exactly. And you see those on like some of the the close by refrigerator shelves where、mm-hmm. they just label dairy. But they also have; they basically have milk and eggs in there, exactly for quick、yeah. gra- grabs. Uh huh. Yeah, but yeah, I think people associate them together, but it's not necessarily technically no. related. Right.、Um, so we're, we're, we're this. This is just to make sure that we're not talking about eggs today. It's all about milk. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we're not talking about chicken eggs. It's all、right. dairy. So、mm-hmm. I think we, you know, sort of thought thought about, you know, doing this topic specifically on dairy for a couple of reasons.、Um, ben has worked on dairy for quite a bit for his grad school,、um, you know, his two years yeah, of grad school. It, it's not too long. <laughs> <laughs> there are people working on cows for their whole life. Right, there are people who have spent thirty years,、uh, you、mm-hmm. know, steeped in that type of research, but. Uh, along with that, I actually listened to a BBC podcast recently called "The Food Chain," and you know the past couple of episodes that they have had、um, has kind of interlinked some of the food supply in the U.S. with、uh, trade implications from the current administration under Trump. So I thought it was、mm-hmm. really interesting, and I brought it up to Ben, and we were like, "Oh, let's share this with people." Um, so yeah, we're gonna we jump on the trendy topic of politics. Yes, yes, everyone's <laughs> talking about <laughs> politics, but yeah. Um, what well, I found. Well, it's only. It, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was just gonna say it's partially political, but partially also related to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Of、completely. what we're seeing here, right? Yeah. So, do you want to introduce the? The, the dairy farmer story. Yeah, so on that BBC podcast,、um, what they mentioned was, you know, under the Trump administration,、um, 
with the trade war going on, there's a lot of tariffs imposed on exports and imports, right? Tariffs are essentially taxes that we pay on imports or exports. And I mm-hmm. think economists generally agree that tariffs are bad because they reduce economic output. You know, there are exceptions to the rule, of course. So with um, sort of the tariffs in place right now, you know, if U.S. puts a tariff on, let's say, incoming goods from China so that the local industry in U.S., can you know profit and sell their goods more than instead of relying mm-hmm. on other countries imports um, what can happen is you know china or mexico or canada they can do a retaliatory tariff right they can say yeah. well you're doing this to me so we're going to do this to you too so what it ha- what what ends up happening for the dairy industry is that if you think about you know dairy that is produced in the u.s there is a huge industry. And even though the U.S. has over 300 million people, we have mm-hmm. way more milk uh, and, and also other dairy products than we can consume. So these dairy products are typically exported to, you know, Canada and Mexico are big ones, but also to other places like China, European Union. And it's not just food and milk. A lot of it is actually exported as dairy products in the form of, yep. you know, cheese um, or whey protein or dry milk powder etc so with our inability to export these products at you know the amounts that we were exporting them before dairy farmers are sort of taking a big hit right yeah because u.s is a very large food producer in general so it has a lot of um, it relies on exporting foods uh, for for farmers to live, and for it's also part of the food industry overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and exactly like Amanda said, a lot of the milks are not going away, like milk, uh, like like the milk that you you would buy from the grocery store. They're mm-hmm. more like some type of milk powder um, for easy transports. Right, so so that actually hurts like a variety of industry, right? Not just at the farmer level, but also at the manufacturing level. Totally. To, because you you have to manufacture those powders uh, mm-hmm. for it to be sold somewhere else, well, yeah. to to sell it somewhere else. Um, yeah. So, and and what really caught our attention, maybe it was, uh, I think now six months ago or seven months ago when COVID first hit it, mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of um, uh, schools, universities, and large, uh, you know, what they call contract dining places. Uh, mm-hmm. A typical one would be like the dining hall in the university, but there could be other ones for like corporate offices and for other type of um, facilities. Um, all of the um, places stopped um, producing, right? They, 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 they stopped cooking and everybody went home because of COVID. Uh, but a lot of milk, unfortunately, had nowhere to go because they were um, plant to sold at those places. Um so it forced many places uh, to unfortunately dump those milk because mm-hmm. they had no other way out of the uh, of the food, and um, it didn't have. Um, it was a really sad story to see, um, but that was you know the bottom choice of everyone, and there there's really no alternative of it. Uh, mm-hmm. So so the farmers had to had to basically drain it. Right, right. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking at statistics from CNN in June of 2020, um, you know, when it got bad, 
you know, every mm-hmm. day U.S. dairy farmers were forced to dump as much as 3.7 million gallons of fresh milk, right, because of this disruption in the supply chain. And yeah. I think people might be wondering, well, how, how difficult is it? Like, you know, instead of shipping milk to the restaurant or to, you know, corporate, dine, uh, corporate, um, what are those places called? Dining the halls. Cafeteria. How about just, you know, repackaging them into consumer packages so they can be sold at Target or Walmart? But it's really not as simple as that. If you think about right. our manufacturing and distribution distribution chain, everything is geared to be as efficient as possible for whatever type of packaging the milk is sold in. So imagine if you're mm-hmm. pasteurizing milk and then you're filling it aseptically into these giant um, Tetra packs for use in dining halls, etc. It's very hard to suddenly transfer from that to using those small home use, um, smaller size packaging formats, right? Right. It, you would need to retool the entire um, manufacturing facility, which is just not something that's feasible on such a, t- a short time scale. Yeah, and, there's no way to do it. And man, that's why, that's why they'd rather dump the milk. Right. And it's even for things like cheeses, instead of having these giant, you know, maybe 10 pound bag cheeses you might use for restaurants or food service, Mm -hmm. repackaging them into, you know, 300 gram little packages for uh, for Target, Whole Foods. That's that's actually very hard to do. You know, it's not as simple as someone being at home and just buying a different packaging when Mm -hmm. when it's at the industrial level. Everything's already maximized and optimized for whatever, you know, packaging format it was in so it does take a lot to kind of change over and that yep. that's part of the reason as well totally yeah that's why it's very difficult for farmers to survive pandemic was just one of the factors at the same time uh, from i think since what maybe starting from five six years ago uh farmers the number of dairy farmers overall has been declining and uh, part of the reason was also because of uh, these uh, overseas tariffs are, are happening a lot. And also small individual farmers are just not holding up with the big corporations. And that's relatively common in many type of farming activities. Uh, we've talked in the past about grain farming or other cereal products, corn, etc. So this is... Uh, very similar of a story that um, big farm, big corporations and large producers were able to uh, get a price and a resource uh, benefit over the uh, small and individual farmers. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's unfortunate that many of these farmers had to uh, go out of business or essentially became employees of the big uh, big corporations for it to uh, sustain its um its own business mm-hmm. yeah or, it is uh, i don't know it's more like they're living than their business in the end right right it is pretty uh, sad um a lot of dairy farms or just farms in general have been passed down for generations in the mm-hmm. in the same family so for that to no longer be a thing you know that i think that's a huge hit to a lot of people um, also, you know, farmers, farming is a type of activity where it's not exactly a nine to five job, right? <laughs> the cows don't start no. pumping out milk just because <laughs> it's Sunday, <laughs> you know, right. it's not rest day for them. <laughs> so it's not uh-huh. rest day for farmers. So I think, you know, 
Mm, I think farmers are going through sort of a big hit with just, like Ben said, larger farmers went out in the end. They have more leverage. They're more sometimes mm-hmm. more efficient. They're able to take out loans more. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. as as a result of that, you know, the United States has about forty thousand farms, but just between twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, we lost about we lost over three thousand farms, right? And this is a huge decline. The yeah, biggest da- dairy years. farms, dairy right. farms, yes, dairy yes. farms, yes. So yeah. that's pretty. That's pretty crazy of a number to think, um, in that scale, right? Um, but the interesting thing is. Um, losing the uh, losing dairy farmers and dairy farms doesn't necessarily mean uh, people are stopped consuming dairy products. Um, the interesting or, or or more of the trendy argument is that look, uh, plant based uh, milk, plant based um, beverages are catching up so so much. Uh, everybody, there are way more options nowadays. For you to drink uh, mm-hmm. non-dairy milk, however, um, that's only true, or that's only the more superficial appearance of this whole uh, plant versus dairy war, right? Because um, mm-hmm. fluid milk volume, for sure, it is uh, the sales or the volume of production is decreasing, so that means your general two percent, your 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 pasteurized um, uh, milk. Uh, skim milk are going downhill for sales um, overall at a national level, mm-hmm. but that uh, is only part of the milk production, um, milk-derived products from uh, from in the U.S. Right, right. Because, because besides fluid milk, you know, it is sold in many other forms, right? Dairy products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, namely, cheese. Cheese is actually growing. Um, I think many other like sweet desserts are growing. Um, uh, cheese uh, ingredients are growing. Mm-hmm. So, so these different categories are feeding uh, kind of the they're, they're like the invisible feeds, right? So you don't you don't necessarily uh, chop a block of cheese every day just to just to eat it, like not just the artisanal type of cheese, but also uh, more on the processed cheese and um, you know use for. Uh, pizza used for burgers at restaurants and all of that is is still growing and there is a sizable market for it and and that's something that people really love mm-hmm. um, dear to to the heart right about right dairy to add products. to that you know high high protein um ready to drink or ready to eat products are also a growing segment Consumers mm-hmm. care more and more about, you know, making sure they have enough protein in their diet. So be it, you know, um, rice crisps that have higher protein content or, you know, ready to drink shakes that you can drink after your workout with 30 grams of protein, you know, milk protein concentrate, whey protein isolate, etc. Those type of dairy devi- derived ingredients um, can go into these products as well. So what we're seeing is, you know, dairy is manifesting in other ways as well, besides the traditional fluid milk. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's why, um, y- you know, there is a, you know, dairy is not necessarily going to just go away. Right. So that's, that's, um, that's a lot of the narratives, especially I think in the popular 
culture. Yeah, everyone's saying, well, you know, animal byproducts will no longer be a thing. Maybe in 500 years, but I think in the near future, people still really like their cheese on their pizza. They like their,、uh-huh. you know, grilled cheese sandwich. And I think there's a lot of great work being done by scientists and engineers to mimic that using plant-based products. But we're not、mm-hmm. exactly at the stage yet where you know we can mimic all of those. I, I think there's great advancements for sure, but you know, making a plant milk. Is a lot simpler than making a plant-based, let's say,、um, plant-based. What are some other cheese or plant-based、cream? cheese? Right, cheese is a hard one because to make、right. the exact flavor and texture and melting capability, that takes a lot more engineering work, right? Whereas、totally. with almond milk, it's you know take almond, crush it up, almond butter, add a ton of water.、Mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably more complicated than that, but it is simpler than trying to make、yeah. cheese. Well, it's visual. It, it, it can be visualized, right? Even even just in kitchens. So,、mm-hmm. and and many of these are just impossible to do at that. I I'd say quite frankly, impossible to do at this stage. Um, to to make it、uh, based on a pure plant based ingredient. The the fact that people are still trying to replace dairy shows how popular dairy is. Right, right. So, so that that、um, that taste、um, is is what people love.、Um, so it's really so so like hearing all these is just like it, it's kind of a sad story for a lot of the、uh, first of all like for for farmers, it's it's quite bad to suffer from the larger geopolitical issues and on top of that the the pandemic and、um, to. Not being able to hold up with larger corporations,、mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't necessarily mean the industry isn't progressing. There are a lot of opportunities in, like as you mentioned, in, in high protein beverages or、uh, snack foods.、Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dairy based products could be、uh, further advanced in those areas, and I feel that is what people are currently working on: is to kind of reposition. Dairy in the overall food industry, as not only just a, a traditional type of dairy, but also dairy-derived、uh, snacks and drinks, because those are not going away, and those are blooming. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, what what we've touched a lot on、um, sort of milk and you know that. The the sort of animal derived milk product versus plant derived quote unquote milk,、um, mm-hmm. and I think one interesting thing that we touched a little bit about in our previous episode、um, was the whole issue of labeling oat milk as oat milk, and how that legislation differs between the U.S. and the EU, and I'm sure you know other recently. Just very recently, this is pretty new, right? And、uh-huh. I think Ben, you live in Netherlands, so you are closer to the source. And you, you, you were trying to buy Oatly. You said recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the so so what they call is the dairy ban, right? So the EU voted for the dairy ban, which means、uh, plant-based foods or drinks are no longer allowed to.、Uh, Be associated with a dairy foods, so you can't、uh, you can't say oat milk anymore or、uh, soy milk.、Mm-hmm. Uh, rather, 
I don't even know what you're allowed to say, like soy-based beverage. That's probably okay. Right, or、um, oat beverage. Yeah, oat beverage probably okay. But the the whole idea is that milk,、um, since it has been a very very historical food, it inherited a lot of legal definitions of milk, and over the years, people have been work very hard on protect the authenticity of milk and.、Um, Not allowing adulterations and other, you know, contaminations occur during the milk production process because it's such a,、um, it's such an iconic and important component in the Western diet overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the、uh, that was sort of the argument from the dairy producer side was like, we don't want anybody to confuse milk with the other. Plant-based milk stuff, right, right, because that that's technically not the same thing, and right, they're propo- they're positioning it as something that is sort of sacred to the Western diet and something that is you know different to differentiate themselves from everything that's popping up on the market,、mm-hmm. right. But I'm thinking, what does that mean to consumers when they see, okay, this is not oat milk, this is oat beverage, right? What yeah, what, what goes mean, through the consumer mind because of that difference in labeling and how their purchasing decisions would change? Because obviously, no matter in no matter what industry it is, they would want to lobby for legislation that would help them maintain a dominant market position, right?、Um, so I think part of it is also: do consumers see plant-based milks or beverages as a supplementary component to their dairy intake? Or are they replacing their dairy intake with、um, these plant-based alternatives? And that that those labeling positions would affect that behavior differently, depending on、yeah. if it's the former or the latter,、uh, right? I mean, overall, take the pie chart theory, right? I feel like there for for most people, there's a given volume of fluids that you you drink, right? And if we fix the proportion of water, or other,、um, you know, coffee type of or juice, that's like that that it will fix those proportions.、Um, and only think of the milk and milk-like products.、Um, I think the relationship is clear that it it will be a replacement、mm-hmm. in terms of consumption,、um, because. Let's say you you have a given volume of fluids that you you drink, but on the other hand, how consumers are perceiving it, it's it's different, right? Because you, you you could have just drink the you you could just like increase your consumption of Oatly as just a drink product,、right. or you could replace your regular milk in your in the cereal with Oatly. Right, because the way the way I see it is, you know, if I'm completely new, I don't know what oat milk and oat beverage is. I'm a completely new consumer, standing in the grocery aisle, and I'm trying to pick what to eat with my Cheerios or whatever cereal I'm eating. Right, I'm more inclined to grab something called oat milk than something that says oat beverage, because oat beverage sounds more like a indulgent like beverage on a side that I would drink, not something that I would、mm-hmm. have with. Breakfast. So when you think about consumers, and exactly like you say,、mm. there's a pie chart of how much they can consume, 
Um, and you know, when you think about breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and occasions in which people would consume these products, I think that labeling has huge ramifications potentially yeah. on you know how people make these purchasing decisions. Yeah, you're right. Because milk, it almost has like a emotional meaning. Or or something beyond just the name yeah, of the food. Yeah, it's like oh milk. You yeah. know, I like to drink it in the breakfast uh, with my breakfast. Or I like to put it in my coffee. Or maybe uh-huh. I like to um, you know drink it before bed. You know, maybe those are my occasions for drinking milk. Mm-hmm. But then when you ask me like, oh Amanda, when do you drink X beverage? Beverage to me sounds like something I would drink. When I'm in a restaurant ordering food with friends, and I'll be like, "Oh, I'm、mm-hmm. gonna get that beverage." But to say that I drink a certain beverage for breakfast sounds like I'm drinking soda or something, right? Just,、yeah. just, just the emotional connotation of that word. I think it's perhaps a big win for the dairy industry, <laughs> yeah, and a sort of setback for some of the plant-based、um, reach、uh, manufacturers. Yeah, I guess so. Like, does milk sound more natural to you? Milk sounds like it's from the ground to me. It's from yeah. I I think that's that's a marketing thing too, right? Beverage sounds like something that's very manufactured, and we know all beverages milk has to go through some manufacturing process, right? But I think beverage has that connotation of being, oh, people put like additives in it or whatever, just from a consumer lens, you know, which is kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> So I think, yeah, yeah, it 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 will be interesting to see how this affects the industry. Really, yeah, because 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 when I learned the word oat milk, I've never really thought through. I, I guess for my consumer journey, I've never really thought through、mm-hmm. how it's made because it's just like the white stuff that are <laughs> right, like like it, it's 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 a milk like beverage that you just consume.、Right. And、right. it has its distinct flavor. Sure, I think people are very similar to you when they think milk. They think, "Oh, it comes from the cow." That's pretty much it. But when you say beverage, it's like, "Oh, they have these different like things that they add together, mix in a huge tank."、Uh, maybe they add a bunch of coloring to make it look white. I don't know. I'm just、yeah. spitting out thoughts here. But I think that it's a clear. You know, those words are not perceived the same way. Um, mm. In English, at least, I'm not sure what it looks like in other European languages since this legislation is happening in the EU. But there has、right. to be some effect, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I and I mean, now I'm thinking like in Chinese, you can say soy milk as douzhang,、mm-hmm. or it would as doughnut, and both is acceptable, and both are used as frequently as one another. Yeah, so so like the two words I said, the first one is kind of like soybean serum,、oh. and the second one is like soybean milk. <laughs> soybean serum. Oh my、yeah. god. Well, it sounds, sounds like a little、medical. weird. Yeah. yeah. But if you grew up listening to the word doujiang, which is like the、yeah. Chinese, Ben just translated as soy serum. It actually doesn't I, sound that weird if you grew up hearing it that way. I mean, I don't even know for the other type of.、Um, I don't know if oatly is sold in China. Maybe it is. And you know what you brought up, Ben? That's really interesting. Is soy milk,、uh, be it whatever name you call it, right? Soy milk has been made for a long time in China. 
before people were making it in their backyard right using that giant wooden turny thing i don't know what it's called there's a word for it but people have been making soy milk for centuries before any company um you know made it and put in a package and sold it in a very industrialized commercial way so in some way soy milk Mm -hmm. and the way it's called in chinese is already grandfather fathered in from centuries of just using that same word so it isn't it's it's very different from what we're seeing here where plant-based milks is fairly new and fairly recent yeah um compared to soy milk well because you could yeah that's essentially a a pre-step to make tofu right right so i I didn't know that yes it is (laughs) (laughs) wait so soy milk is the byproduct of tofu no 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 like you you coagulate tofu oh sorry you coagulate soy milk with some coagulant and make tofu out of it today i learned wow (laughs) (laughs) i should notice i grew up drinking soy milk (laughs) come on amanda I know, I know. Oh I'm man, I hanging my head down this. in shame. <laughs> uh, well, but while while you were talking, I looked up that only it's sold in China, mm-hmm. and is translated as oat milk. So okay, interesting. And, yeah. So and another word, uh, which which is also used sometimes, it's uh it's yan mai lu. So mm-hmm. Lu as the have you had Lulu when you were in? Lulu um, is like a yogurt drink, right? No, it's the almond drink. Nope, I haven't. Okay, but, but Lu translates literally to serum. <laughs> no, that I think no. Uh, Lu is like a like a dew, like a water dew. Okay, because like and people like say. Sh- okay. Okay. Like soy drop. That sounds weird. Because people also say fa lu, which is shampoo in Chinese. Yeah, yeah, also yeah, has yeah, yeah, right. So, so I it's guess like it's like creamy, some sort of creamy type of thing. Yeah, yeah, liquidy, creamy, sort of thick consistency is called lu, right? Yeah. So I guess you don't have a direct translation. We're just trying to help Oatly out. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> We're just giving them alternatives yeah, for like, branding and you, naming their product. What would you say? Yeah, <laughs> it's better. Um, yeah, because cause now that after you and I talked, I do mm-hmm. think calling it milk, it's a very convenient branding way. Right. Because you already buy in into something that consumers have attached different meanings to. All right, so our call just went off. <laughs> so we don't know where we are anymore. <laughs> yeah, so Ben and I record this podcast virtually. We always hop on a messenger call to talk things like while we're recording uh-huh. on our individual laptops. And uh, Messenger yeah. just, yep, Messenger just went out on us, but we're back. Yeah, it gave up on us. Um, yeah. But I think we're talking about Oatly and just trying to think of alternative names for. Yep. Or alternative category, even like. Right. I guess the whole point here or the discussion is really about, you know, dairy as a kind of then recently became the center of attention again. Uh, right. So you, you heard all these uh, political consequences to the dairy industry. And at the same time, uh, the the uh, dairy industry overall hasn't given up yet on 
winning or protecting their their names mm-hmm. in the in the among the dairy products. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it it's a very um, it's a very interesting thing to observe, right? Just like any other change, it feels yeah. like any change will see resistance, right? In yeah, yeah, yeah. Forms and hard to say where things will be in ten, twenty years. But um, I think you know we are we good for closing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think you know in 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 general. Um, this doesn't happen just with the dairy industry. I think this happens with any other mass commodity sort of product that is produced, mm-hmm. especially when you're an agricultural, um, when, when agricultural makes up such a big part of, um, you know, like U.S. has a huge amount of land and we grow a lot of things, right? And those things have to go somewhere. So when you have yeah. such huge agricultural production, you need to have um, places to export it to. And I think, you know, at the beginning, we try to highlight that um, geopolitical relations really have big ramifications on um, just sort of the whole industry, just focusing on dairy. But, you know, other industries like soybean um, is affected as well. In fact, I was telling Ben mm-hmm. that um, if you go listen to the BBC podcast I mentioned earlier called The Food Chain, they also brought up an example of ginseng. So um, ginseng comes uh. in various forms, right? There's Chinese ginseng, there's American ginseng. And American ginseng, a lot of it is actually grown in Wisconsin for export to China. Yeah. The reason being that ginseng is a very valued ingredient in China. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to have a lot of health, rejuvenating properties. And American ginseng is supposed to have different properties from Chinese ginseng. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, that same sort of trade war that has been going on, um, the exports for ginseng has also dropped, and the prices for ginseng has dropped from thirty to forty dollars per was it pound? Don't quote me on it. <laughs> to you know, less than half the original price. So I think um, this is something that's very pertinent in our very global type of food chain that we have in this day and age. Totally. Okay, so. Is that any any more thoughts on dairy, ginseng, uh, or the impact from <laughs> political stuff? I think, I think that's pretty much it. Cool. Um, and in the end, I just want to share a book recommendation. This book is called the uh, the Poison Squad. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know who wrote this book, but it's a sort of pretty famous book amongst. In the food science circle, right? Uh, I think I've heard our professor mention it on a few occasions. Yeah, so it's called the Poison Squad. So it's uh, it, it's by Deborah Blum. Uh, so the book itself talks about, uh, I think in the late nineteenth century, so eighteen something something, when food was still like pretty wild. There's not a lot of regulations. Mm-hmm. This uh, contaminations and adulteration is like common practices among food yeah. manufacturers because there's literally to make it cheaper. Yeah, because there was no no law to govern it. Right? Can you imagine <laughs> what a crazy world? Yeah, right. What a crazy what world. a crazy world. Right. So, and this guy whose name he he's a chemist, and his name is I think Harvey Harvey uh, Welly. Uh, mm-hmm. He dedicated himself into. 
uh, a lot of the chemical tests and physical tests as well to authenticate food, and also pushed in the、uh, political environment for、uh, the government to issue,、uh, you know, the Pure Food Act and the subsequent,、um, you, you know, various、uh, food, drug, and cosmetic act. Uh, and all that、um, sort of the modern food law movement,、um, and you know it's a very vivid book. I read、um, parts of it, and、um, it really goes into the details of what happened, and、uh, it's worth a read. And probably would inspire how people would think of、uh, sort of the plant-based movement and how how that should fit into the overall、uh, the overall food chain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, for sure. That's a very good book. Have I heard people talk about it?、Mm-hmm. Really good reviews. And yeah, that's it. I that's it. Yeah. Do you want to do the if you like subscribe whatever it's、oh, yeah. it is that you do? Well, people all know about it, right? <laughs> so you can reach out to us、people、at fihpodcast at gmail dot com. <laughs>、uh, give us a good review、uh, wherever you listen to us, and、uh, thanks for listening. Till next time. Bye bye.